breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This, the Blaze Podcast Network. Thanks for coming back to the program where we look at the ideology of political Islam, the ideology of far-left synergy with Islamism. What it is we can learn from the political landscape of today, and also sometimes I might navigate into issues of public health, the pandemic, and other things that uh, are top of the mind. Bottom line is that I promise you will get a navigation through the realities of certain subjects that uh, are key to our security, to uh, our uh, advancement in future generations for the advancement of freedom and free markets and liberty against autocracy, theocracy, and the threats to our security domestically and globally. Here on Reform This. This week, I hope you're all enjoying your summer and uh, catching a little bit of the Olympics. You know, uh, uh, it is always something that should be uh, lighting the fire of patriotism, of national identity, of a sense of belonging, that we are proud to be Americans, that our athletes are representing us well in Tokyo, in wherever the Olympics may be. Sort of odd, they're calling it the 2020 Olympics. I know it was skipped last year because of the pandemic, so they still called it the 2020, but it's 2021. And uh, a lot of uh, drama. You know, you look at uh, the Sudanese, uh, I think it was judo or one of the martial artists uh, that decided not to participate when he was uh, pulled to compete against the Israeli. I mean... What is, what is the rationale other than their anti-Semitism and their bigotry? I think it's the rationale of a guy who knew he was going to get his, uh, you know what, his derriere kicked by the Israeli competitor. So he tried to find an out so that he could become a, a respected person who stood up to the Israeli and didn't show up. This is the the weakness of the Islamist movement, is that even when they make a statement, they lose. Even when they make a stance, they lose. And it's so common that we see this with the left too, right? Even when we're supposed to unite as a country, and as, as leftists, they're chosen to represent us, some of them, whether it's soccer leaders or whatever it might be, and yet they burn that opportunity by alienating everyone with their politics and deciding not to stand for the national anthem or whatever it might be. So they, in fact, take the opportunity of leadership that they've been given by the success of their sport and burn it at the altar of quixotic politics. And what's amazing is this is having an effect on our community nationally. There was recent interviews done by Campus Watch And it is just incredulous. It is just beyond belief that in interviewing college students across the country, campus reform found that some college students won't root for Team USA out of the Olympics, saying, well, because I don't like being American, I'm going to root for the individuals. Yeah, this is sort of the random opinions that were found. Uh, Fox News reported it a few days ago. 
U.S. college students are refusing to root for Team USA at the Tokyo Olympics, opting to cheer for individual athletes instead of their home country. Campus Reform spoke with students at the University of South Florida ahead of the opening ceremony, where several voicing their support for American athletes who chose to protest their country on the world stage. I don't like being an American either, one student said. Why is there no free health care? Why are so many people suffering because of housing? And that is a great example of how corrupt it is here. Yeah, these are folks that our schools are training, are educating. And he said they're just going to, patriotism shouldn't be that strong, they said. Just because it's the country I live in doesn't mean I have to root for it. Campus Reform correspondent was Ophelia Jacobson who conducted the interviews. It's sad to see my generation lose all hope and interest in portraying American excellence on the global stage, Jacobson said. U.S. adults' pride in being American remains well below levels seen before 2017, according to a recent Gallup poll. And that's why, you know, some people might try to dismiss this story since it's just sort of anecdotal. But the Gallup poll backs it up. This is not, this is not simply agitprop, agitation propaganda, but it's actually the impact of years now of the far left going to the streets, burning down businesses, malls, taking down statutes, trying to erase American history. 1619 Project saying from the New York Times that somehow America's founding fathers were not about freedom, liberty, and the Constitution, but about racism, about white supremacism, about slavery. And again, the obvious response is that, yes, we were not a perfect nation. We had a civil war in which half a million people died in a conflict in order to emancipate slaves and begin the process of healing against racism. But that does not mean that's the core identity of America and all the things that our democracy has done under the altar of equality, of free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, the right to bear arms, and all the other rights that are protected by the U.S. Constitution. But the, the, the ebb, the cancer that's rotting at the core of the identification of being American is that at the top of the discussion, at the top of the bandwidth, uh, exhausting the bandwidth of discussion of these things is a sense that America is by default bad. And what's this program about? Countering political Islam. And I can tell you, as an anti-Islamist, that's how Islamists radicalize Americans, American Muslims, and Muslims around the planet. Al Jazeera's of the world run by the Muslim Brotherhood ideologues constantly say that the plagues of the world, the diseases, the, the, the violence, the problems country to country are not because of the Chinese Communist Party. They're not because of the Khomeinists in Tehran. They're not because of genocidal Assad and what he did. They're not because of the Muslim Brotherhood or monarchs or autocrats or other Muslims who kill and torture and imprison other Muslims? No, it's because of America, because America's bad. And on and on. So thus you see the synergy in messaging between the Islamists of the Muslim Brotherhood, Qatari media, 
press TV in Iran and its constant propaganda that America is bad, with the far-left progressivists and what is being taught in American educational institutions in America. And thus you have these polls, Gallup, and interviews we saw this week about cheering for the Olympics, that they do not want to cheer for America because it's passé to be patriotic. And as Reagan said, we are one generation away from losing our freedom. Ilhan Omar this week is tweeting, among other things, saying that her agenda is about getting a free check of $1,200 a week to every American below a certain income level. So thus, we see the Venezuelan socialist approach to American governance coming from the progressivists, Bernie Sanders at Al, AOC. And thus, you see, if, you, if, if you're really concerned about this, there's some reassurance in the fact that, well, the Olympics have the lowest viewership of quite a while. When the NBA decides to honor a particular activist movement while not honoring the other activist movements, you'll see its viewership drop considerably because people are not going to sign on to watch professional sports when they know they're going to be fed one side of a political argument. It's not about politics. And I've talked to you on this show before about the rot that happens when politics infuses religion, infuses sports, infuses entertainment, infuses music. You alienate immediately at least one half of the population, if not more. So, I bring these things to you not only diagnostically, but so that we can ponder together what the treatment should be. This week I watched a Netflix series called Caliphate. It's produced in Sweden. Shows the radicalization of a few young teen girls who were Swedish Muslims that decided to join ISIS. I'm going to do an in-depth review of that in a coming podcast. But I can tell you that the constant mantra had good elements, bad elements, uh, I'll review it in depth. But the mantra that was appropriate was the fact that their perception of the country they lived in was that it was anti-Muslim, that somehow that the country was a fascist institution that hated Palestinians and Muslims and was Islamophobic and all these tropes that are used to generalize about the country that gave their families freedom Yes, it has its problems. Yes, it has its pathological approaches to some things that Muslims may do. But what are the Muslim communities doing to clarify these things and begin to reform the primary issues? I wanted to talk to you this week also about this campaign by Nina Turner. Nina Turner is a Democratic congressional hopeful who is the front runner in a group of Democrats looking to succeed the Housing and Urban Development Secretary, Marsha Fudge, in an Ohio congressional seat. 
that she vacated after she became secretary a few months ago, a while back when President Biden was elected. Nina Turner claims to be a progressive, and you've already seen campaigning for her directly, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who claims that this is going to be an addition to their squad, that she will be added welcomingly with open arms to the progressive squads of radicals that her, Ilhan Omar, Presley, and others are a part of. The reason I bring her to your attention is, remember, Tulsi Gabbard claimed to be a progressivist, a socialist. She actually supported Bernie Sanders in a presidential campaign. But now has sort of become sort of the split darling of the right and the left, the, the moderate left, if you will, because she doesn't toe the line of the progressivists especially when it comes to the wokiest ideology. But now she's out of Congress, so who are they grooming to take her place? And sure enough, it may be Nina Turner. Remember, Tulsa Gabbard had some very problematic positions when it came to the tyrannical regime of Bashar al-Assad in Syria. She notoriously went there on a uh, she notoriously went there on a trip to Damascus to somehow say that she kept repeating the ag nauseum talking point of the endless wars, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that she wanted to put an end to, and what there were barely a few hundred troops left in Syria anyway. And yet, the narrative from Gabbard was one of pro-Assad. When pushed and pushed, she may say that while she didn't excuse his methods, she made it into a binary choice between ISIS and Assad. Then it was exposed that one of the Assadist operatives in the United States helped fund her trip, and she actually had to return the monies in order to save face. And that was Bassem Khawam, also known as Sam Khawam, in Cleveland. And now it turns out that Khawam has donated thousands of dollars in helping bankroll, or beginning to bankroll, Turner's campaign. She received $2,700 in total, as Fox News reports from the pro-Assad activist Sam Khawam. He's a proponent of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and bankrolled that trip that she took that then became propaganda footage in which she said it was misportrayed the way the Syrian military was acting. She denied the use of chemical weapons by the Syrian military after she initially denied that they had any and then when it was exposed that they did, denied that they used them and said that ISIS might have used them. I mean, it was basically a a horrifically embarrassing mouthpiece for Assad that Gabbard became. She was joined by Dennis Kucinich, who he and his wife have long been apologists for both the father, Hafiz, and the son, Bashar Assad. For decades, as he's sat in his his perch, 
whether the mayor of Cleveland or then the Essadisk operative that he was, apologist that he was, in Congress. Now, spokesperson for Turner's campaign confirmed the donation to Fox News, saying Khawam's contribution was donated to a nonprofit in March, but did not directly answer Fox News' question on whether Turner supported Assad's regime. She wouldn't answer that question. They said, we donated this contribution to the Northeast Ohio Black Health Coalition back in March. Turrentine said, we continue to vet contributions to our campaign to ensure they align with our values. Oh, okay. Well, then tell us how you feel about Assad's regime. So, let's go beyond that. Hawam data. How about the fundraiser they just had in Cleveland? Let's look at the flyer for it. The flyer for a fundraiser on July 31st 2021 in Cleveland led by leaders of the Muslim community there including care operatives and others is titled Salam Somebody I don't even I don't even know what that means somebody but that's the title of this flyer and it said meet and greet with the Middle Eastern AAPI communities and congressional candidate Nina Turner featuring Dr. Cornell West and Attorney General Keith Ellison. Oh, Keith Ellison, I'll remind you, is the member of Congress that then handed over his seat with full endorsement as he went to become Attorney General to Ilhan Omar. Keith Ellison, who I debated in the floors of the House on the Capitol, where he denied the existence of political Islam, saying he didn't even know what it was, and that I was somehow as a Muslim responsible for hate crimes against his daughter. You can find it online, a debate that happened between me and him in Washington, right in the offices near the Capitol there at an assembly of activists somewhere around 2009-2010. This is organized by co-founder of the Progressive Democrats of America, Middle East Alliances, Muslim Delegates and Allies, Hania Jodat Barnes claims to be part of the Roots Action Partnership and also National Director of the Lift the Sanctions campaign. Oh, so what is that? Lift the Sanctions. If you go to their, it's hard to find them specifically, but they have a Facebook page, etc. that says their goal is to return humanitarian aid to the people of Iran, Korea, Syria, Venezuela to lift the sanctions. So these radicals are not only raising money for Nina Turner, she is the tip of the sword of a campaign to actually replenish the coffers of dictators and fascists across the planet. Sanctions to which have been voted in a bipartisan way are now being campaigned to be lifted on the heels of a candidate's campaign endorsed by Cornell West and Keith Ellison to bring Nina Turner in and sure enough to even augment what Bassem Khawam and others got for their dollar in exchange. So what makes them work together? 
How is that? You talk to some of the Muslims there and they'll say, oh, we didn't know they're doing that. This is really just about Muslim rights and fighting Islamophobia and fighting the Zionists. This is what's being promulgated. And it shows you that the socialist Islamist network works together to try to hoodwink many, many that are involved to where it takes one or two ideas that are also radical, be it the anti-Semitism of their anti-Israel position or their uh, endorsement that somehow Islamophobia is a real entity rather than dealing with true Muslim rights, but rather their deception of Islamophobia, that concept of somehow the idea of Islam has rights. But, but no, it goes beyond that. Along with it, their flyer adds all these other subtask movements because they all flow together. Each one grabs onto part of the ship that they like and they're both flowing down the stream towards tyranny, socialism, Genocide in Syria, in China, in Iran. They don't care because, hey, it's against the Zionists. It's against America. It's about how evil America is and how evil free markets are and how evil the West is and secular liberal democracy, etc. Pay attention, folks. The Biden administration, who has a head that is completely asleep at the wheel, has handed over the reins of American politics on the left to the most radical, progressivist, and foreign operatives on the planet. And that ultimately they're starting to put into place as they have the reins right now, broadening their progressivist coalition so that they control the left. I mean, I sit down and I listen to... uh, our senator here in Arizona, Kirsten Cinema, come across as a moderate, and she's being labeled now as a brave, courageous politician because of her stance against the filibuster and her stance and recent bills for infrastructure, etc. And I'm thinking to myself, where have we come? Yes, maybe in those two stances, and I still can't figure out what she's, where she's headed with this. Her ideology is not one in her history as a state rep especially of moderation. She was affiliated with pretty radical far-left groups and statements and anti-Israel positions and otherwise back in the early 2000s. But now she's staked out of two, two positions that, yes, are along with Senator Manchin, pretty, pretty moderate, but I can't figure it out. I mean, this is where we're living today, where... She's coming across as one of the most moderate in the Democratic Party because of those two positions. Interesting. Is she simply performing in the politics of utilitarianism where she knows what the populace here and she wants to keep her seat? Or is it truly an ideological shift? As she's staking out uh, uh, her her new political positions. Bottom line is, is watch campaigns like Turner's. Watch what's happening on the left and watch their alliances and allies that they make in time.
Meanwhile, our other senator, Mark Kelly, here in Arizona, claims to be a moderate and comes across as a man of prior military and space service as a, as a previous astronaut, but continues to show some very concerning alliances with the Chinese. Came up in the campaign, but it didn't stick, even though his company that he ran seemed to accept projects with the Chinese. But he defeated Martha McSally last November in the election and also said he would continue his pledge not to accept corporate PAC money, even going so far as to say that its presence in our politics, according to National Review, poisons our democracy. But yet it's full of loopholes. He just accepted a donation in May from a Huawei lobbyist. During his campaign, he delivered remarks at a fundraising event at the lobbying firm Capital Council, which represents ExxonMobil, Chevron, J.P. Morgan Chase, Lockheed Martin, among other clients. The Intercept reported that the invitation specified that donations to Kelly's campaign should come in the form of personal rather than corporate PAC checks so as to technically keep him compliant with his pledge. He's accepted $185,000 from CEOs during just the first quarter of 2019 and $245,000 from donors whose occupations were owners, founders, presidents, vice presidents, or chief officers. And on and on with loopholes. But the key is there should be a as National Review reports, a clear difference between somebody, politician accepting donations from someone working for an American corporation and someone working for or on behalf of a foreign corporation. Particularly, as National Review reports, when that foreign corporation is being not only scrutinized, but actively opposed by the American government the way that Huawei Technologies is. Huawei is a Chinese telecommunications company that sells consumer products and works on more critical communications infrastructure. The U.S. advocated that it be prohibited from helping develop our 5G networks because of a number of security risks posed by the company and the fact that it misled about its businesses with the rogue Iranian regime and the sanctions that we had on them. Not to mention stealing trade secrets and other things that the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, does every day as a matter of business. Isn't it surprising that Kelly would accept a $1,000 donation from Thomas Green, a lawyer at Sidley Austin, a registered lobbyist on behalf of Huawei, per Open Secrets? And there are other examples of this that the report goes on to talk about his frequenting of Chinese government-sponsored conferences, and otherwise that are in his circle of influence. But the reality is, is as an American Muslim, again, where is the outrage when it comes to the Uyghur community that is in genocide, in, in, in camps, in prisons, in torture in China? 
clear, clear human rights abuses that not only are the Islamist governments turning a blind eye to as they work with the Chinese government, but American Muslims and their Islamist leadership seem to not care about. And certainly American Muslim organizations here in Arizona don't seem to want to put Senator Kelly in his place about his alliances with the Chinese. All of this, I think, sort of reminds us, reminds us of the realities when it comes to the far left's alliances with Islamists and socialists and how that works globally and domestically. Last, I want to leave you with a tweet from Ilhan Omar. Yeah, I know we talk about that a few times, but she made a tweet this week that I think epitomizes. When people say, oh, is she an Islamist? How do you know that, really? She's just sort of a, a, a collectivist when it comes to these things. Here, l- let me let me read you a tweet that she said. She posted a tweet with a quote in her signature that says, I truly believe that politics can be a vehicle for bringing joy into people's lives. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm not going anywhere. Wow. So, yep, Islamists, by the way, by their DNA, love politics. It's in their ideological DNA. It's defined when they say Islam is a way of life to them. That means their politics is a way of life. Their state is Islamist. They believe that the law should be Sharia, that Islamism, their politics, is what they love. And yet, most rational, Western-minded, post-Enlightenment folks say, you know what? Politics is the necessary evil. We have to have a democracy and come to some kind of agreement. But we try. We try to work in a way that gets government out of our lives so that we can each be individuals and then enjoy one another's company and friendship and genuine relationships. So politics is a necessary evil rather than the joy that it brings. This is the problem, is that, is that if you look at many of the founding fathers and those in the West who, yes, absolutely, leadership, governmental leadership is, a, is necessary, whether it's for national defense, whether it's for providing the enforcement of the law, whatever it might be. The bottom line, however, is that politics is not something that you would necessarily scream about being something you enjoy with all your fiber. But Islamists do, because political Islam is what they live for. And as I've told you before, the Salafists are the orthodoxy in Islam. And one of the most poignant statements I've heard is that Islamists see religion as a tool to get political power, and Salafists see politics as a tool to get religious power. So Salaf, meaning the friends of the Prophet, are Orthodox who see certain things religiously as black and white, but when it comes down to it, they're not fans of being involved in politics. So that's how you get sort of the mindset of the Saudis, the royal family and others who might hand over political, rather uh, religious leadership to 
clerics and others and separate them out of the political infrastructure. But then you see the Islamists of the Brotherhood where they want to do both. They control the mosques and the government. The Khomeinists in Iran, you see now with President Raisi, his control of both. He was a judge, the hanging judge who slaughtered many political opponents, saying they were Islamic opponents and then now rose to run the presidency because there's a mixture of that. They use religion to get political leadership. So Ilhan Omar proves yet again that by definition she is an Islamist. By definition, she uses religion to get political power and continues that back and forth. Saw a good piece this week that was asking the Biden administration to prevent President Raisi from coming to the United States and denying him entry during the UN General Assembly that's coming in September. Boy, that's a great idea. Where is the Muslim community that stands for the civil rights of Muslims? That stands for truly against the bigotry and fascism of misogynists and supremacists like Raisi? Where are they? They should be marching on Washington, marching in New York in front of the UN to prevent Raisi from coming to the United States because of the evil theocrat and supremacist that he is. Don't hold your breath. Push it online, folks. Have it go viral. Ask the questions. Let's talk about all these things. But thank you, as always, for joining me. Spread the message. Find me on Twitter at Reform This Radio and also at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. And we will continue to spread the word the message and debate about the need to understand the beauty, the reality that is America, the importance of patriotism and national identity, and the need to defeat political Islam as an ideology and expose the hypocrisy that is seen on the left and the progressivists and socialists. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.